0: This month on Security Management Highlights.
1: To score a home run with that audience was very meaningful because it meant that I'd hit the target I was looking to hit.
0: The author of the ASIS Book of the Year, Steve Van President and CEO of Brevo, is here to tell us more about what the award means to him and a little more about his book.
2: It's the most unique assignment in law enforcement. It's really a situation where you're bridging together law enforcement and education.
0: Mo Kennedy, Executive Director of the National Association Of School Resource Officers stops by to tell us more about the efforts of his organization and some of the challenges and solutions in the School Resource Officer space. I'm your host, Associate Editor Holly Gilbert Stowell, and that's all coming up on this edition of Security Management Highlights. The ASIS Book of the Year is written by President and CEO of Brevo, Steve Vantill. The book is called The Five Technological Forces Disrupting Security, How Cloud, Social, Mobile, Big Data, and IoT are Transforming Physical Security in the Digital Age. And he's here now to talk more about his book and what winning the award means to him. Hi, Steve. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Good morning, Holly. Thanks for having me.
0: So, Steve, tell us just a little bit more about your book. What were the origins for writing it? When were you struck with the idea, or have you been planning on writing this book for a while? And what was the process like just putting it all together?
1: First of all, I'll say that writing a book has been something that's been on my bucket list for a long time, and I just didn't know when or what I would write about, but um, I've always had the desire to do that. So I actually began developing some of the themes that are in the book three or four years before I sat down and started writing. And what happened is that originally I called them five megatrends and started giving these talks on them in a couple of different venues. And the audience reaction I got, you know, people coming up afterwards, people liked these topics and the way they were presented probably better than anything else I've ever spoken about. And so I thought, hey, I'm, I'm really onto something here. So I'll keep developing it. So I probably worked on the core concepts over the course of a couple of years, you know, two or three presentations per year. And again. Everybody was really interested in these. And so I kept working on them. And a couple of years before I actually sat down to write, I was giving yet another presentation on these topics somewhere. And a gentleman who's an acquisitions editor for the publisher came up to me afterwards and he said, hey, these seem like something that we'd be really interested in talking about. Would you have any interest in writing a book on them? And I said, well, absolutely, and I told him my bucket list story. And so from there, we developed a proposal together, and, you know, the rest is history, as they say.
0: Now, in your book, you talk about the evolution of the security industry over the last few decades. How has that evolution affected the security practitioner's job? And maybe how would a security professional's job look different today than, say, 10, 20, or even 30 years ago?
1: Coincidentally, I came into the industry close to 20 years ago now, maybe more like 18. And I came in by way of my company, Brevo, which is kind of how I opened the book as a way of explaining my view on how the industry has become consumerized. And, and that's one of the themes that I think is big influence on practitioners throughout. But I'd say that one of the biggest changes since I first came in, which was before anybody was doing cloud, before anybody was doing mobile and those sorts of things, is that practitioners have much better tools today than what they used to. And, and that's true across pretty much any part of the industry, whether you're looking at video or access control or mass communications, just anywhere you look, there's better tools. And I think that's been a real boon for the whole industry. Connectivity, data, analytics, it's all there. And one of the effects of that is that it's making everybody in the security suite behave more like IT. And what I mean by that is that it's becoming more of a strategic function. Uh, People are looking at operational benefits from security technology. And, you know, while that's always been sort of a holy grail, I think, that the changes in tools and the connectivity have made that much more of a reality than it was when I when I joined the industry 18 years ago. The other thing, a little bit more internal focus, is that the, the practitioner now has to think more like an IT person. And some of that is superficial, language changes, using technology terms, things like that. But the other thing is some of the concepts that are used to justify expenses or to talk about an approach or to talk about your vision for where you're going. Things like total cost of ownership, technology refreshes, outsourcing, cloud, cybersecurity. These are all topics now that the physical security group talks about that sound an awful lot like what the IT department would be talking about.
0: Now, as a part of this evolution, we have seen industry disruptors come along, not just in security, of course, but in all types of verticals. We see smaller companies coming in, developing these products that do change the face of how business is done. But how in the security industry have you seen those disruptors make an impact? Do you think any of them are going to last? And what are some of the disruptive technologies and services on the horizon?
1: I think everybody expects me to say that cloud's going to be a big disruptor just because that's what I've been known for in the context context of my company. And I think that's true, but I think it's a done deal already. Uh, the cloud is here to stay, and the startups, and the new companies, and new products that you were mentioning just a moment ago are a great illustration of that. So to me, that one's already here, it's already disrupting, and it's already changing things. The consequence of that is that there are two other disruptors that really come to the fore. One is big data, and one is IoT. Big data is really, when you think of all the benefits that you get from being on a cloud platform, big data is one of them that only is done on the cloud. You just don't see it being done any other place. And so as more and more of the security infrastructure of of companies moves onto the cloud, there will be bigger and bigger pools of data there that finally allow the security industry, to enjoy data analytics in ways that other industries have been for a long time. My own background, for example, includes a stint in healthcare informatics, where data has completely changed the way that healthcare is delivered, measured, reimbursed, and and even practiced. The second disruptor, which is connected to the first, is Internet of Things. And the real news there is that it's the widespread availability of very inexpensive sensors, which in turn, generate lots of data that feed the big data trend. So, Big Data and IoT, I think, are the two big things to watch.
0: So, Steve, on a more personal note, I want to ask, where were you and what were you doing when you found out that you were awarded the ASIS Book of the Year for 2019? And did you know that you were in the running? And then after that, just what are some of your thoughts and your feedback on getting the award? What's its significance to you and your career?
1: Sure. So, first of all, I did not know I was in the running. And so when I found out, it literally made my day. And I'll tell you a little bit more about why. It would have on any day, but on this particular day when I got the phone call, I was stuck in Charleston, South Carolina, due to some huge rainstorms on the East Coast. Four of my flights had been canceled, and I was there for the night. And so I was kind of in that mood that you know can't get where I want to go, stuck where you know I don't need to be anymore. And so I get this phone call from this random number, and I'm like, should I even answer this? And I did. of course, it was the best news I could have got at that moment, but it was a complete surprise. The significance to me is that it came from the ASIS organization, which of course is practitioner focused end users. And that is the audience that I wrote the book for. I spent a lot of time with my editor talking about focus and audience and who's this book for and who's your ideal reader and things like that. And I really settled in on security practitioner as the audience that I wanted to speak to. And so to score a home run with that audience, was very meaningful because it meant that I'd hit the target I was looking to, to hit. I'm glad it's useful to them because practitioners are really where the rubber meets the road. You know, those of us who are creating technology and services don't always hit the, the nail on the head. We don't always create uh, exactly what people need and want, even though we try very hard all the time. So to be able to, in the context of a book, provide a book that this organization found useful was very meaningful to me because, in a sense, it's a little bit like a product. Product and creating a product that people wanted and needed and thought was good was very satisfying.
0: Well, thank you so much, you for joining us. Congratulations on this award. It's a prestigious honor that ASIS bestows from year to year. And you are joining a group of other lauded security professionals and authors. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you very much, Holly. My pleasure.
0: Finally, school resource officers are an integral part of an education environment's safety and security plan. Here to talk more about the challenges that SROs face on a daily basis, as well as some of the best practices that these officers can employ, is Mo Kennedy, Executive Director of the National Association of School Resource Officers, or NASRO. Hi, Mo. Welcome to the podcast.
2: Well, thanks for having me. Glad to be here.
0: Thanks so much for being here. You and I spoke for the January article about school resource officers. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about your organization, the National Association of School Resource Officers, and what your mission is?
2: NASRO has been around since 1991, and you know, it started really with a mission to really prepare law enforcement officers to uh, work in a school environment, and train them how to do that properly, and also train educators about that role of law enforcement in schools. We train pretty much all over the country and are really proud to be a part. One piece, really, um, the overall school safety and security layer, which is a, a multi-layered strategy, certainly, and, and we're, we're I'm proud to be one part of that and helping to keep students safe at school, as well as the educator. We want to keep everyone safe on the school campuses.
0: So you mentioned that for a police officer coming from their department, being assigned to an educational environment, it might be a bit of a learning curve, a new environment for cops who are used to doing you know, patrols and street-type policing. So what are some of those challenges of working in a school-based environment for law enforcement, and how does your organization help teach them to become experts?
2: Well, it's the most unique assignment in law enforcement. You know, it's really a situation where you're bridging together law enforcement and education, which if you don't prepare properly for that, it it can be quite an uncomfortable collision. So we want to make sure that officers going into the school environment, certainly that they know about their law enforcement role in the school and, and what that looks like. But, you know, we also want them to understand things like teen brain development or adolescent brain development. And so we have a significant block of training on that within our basic SRO course. You know, we want them to to understand about working with students from different backgrounds, different cultures, uh, you know, the issues around implicit bias. We want them to understand, you know, what goes on in a school in regards to special education. You know, we want to make sure that they know about Laws as they relate to their work in the school environment, what that looks like, and you know just just understanding. Um, again, the world of education a little bit so that we don't go into that blindly and ill-prepared to do the job.
0: So what are some of the biggest challenges that SROs are facing in the classroom? And what are some of those day-to-day things that SROs are dealing with, with students and faculty and staff? I know that Active Shooter has quite a heavy focus in today's world, but I know there's other issues that they have to deal with. So what are some of the trainings and some of the hazards that school resource officers have to be prepared for?
2: You know, when it comes to the active shooter situation, it's something we've got to be prepared for, and we've got to be prepared to respond effectively to that. We've got to be prepared to end it if it starts on our school campus. The good news is most of us are never going to face it. Even with all of the shooting events toward the end of last school year, they still, at the end of the day, are a rare event. So most of us are not going to face that, but we have to be completely prepared. It is a high-impact, low-probability event. You know, let's keep in mind that if it happens, it is going to be a significant impact on a community, not just on that day, but probably for years to come. We want to do everything we can to prevent those. And so, you know, that's a big part of what we do, too, Uh, overall prevention. There are a lot of things that SROs can be engaged in with the school from the educational perspective and uh, the informal counseling perspective to help with the overall prevention. But, you know, it's the day-to-day things that we're there for. And sometimes it seems like things that really don't matter, but they do. It's traffic direction. It's being in the lunchroom to engage with students during that period of time. It's being aware of uh, trespassing issues, building security issues. It's, you know, dealing with drugs that may have been brought on campus. Or if we get information, there's a weapon on campus, you know, conducting that investigation and dealing with that. So there are a variety of day-to-day issues that SROs are constantly involved in.
0: And Mode, finally and briefly, just let us know about some of the partnerships that your organization is currently a part of and some of the things that NASRO is doing that you're excited about?
2: Well, first of all, we really are proud of and we value our relationship with the Department of Education. We have a great relationship with the Attorney General's Office. One of our more long-term relationships that we really appreciate is our relationship with the COPS office within Department of Justice. We are engaged in a number of meetings with them. We've received grant funding from them to conduct our training for uh, officers that they've provided provided, uh, hiring grants for. Um, I was in a meeting with them just today, uh, you know, on on some exciting issues. We just received another grant from them that is going to be used to help to develop an online training course. We're very appreciative of those relationships that, uh, you know, what it does, it gives us the opportunity to train SROs to be even more effective with students and more effective in keeping students safe.
0: Thanks so much for joining us, Mo.
2: Thank you. I appreciate you having me.
0: That does it for this month. Be sure to subscribe to us on SoundCloud or iTunes so you don't miss an episode. Once again, I'm your host, Associate Editor, Holly Gilbert-Stowell. Until next time, bye-bye.